Welcome to the Dental Amigos podcast with Dr. Paul Goodman and attorney Rob Montgomery, taking you behind the scenes of the dental business world, all the things you didn't learn in dental school but wish you had. Rob is not a dentist and Paul is not a lawyer, but since Rob is a lawyer, we need to tell you that this podcast is for informational purposes only and shouldn't be considered legal advice. Listening to this podcast does not and will not create an attorney-client relationship. As is always the case, you should formally consult with legal counsel before proceeding with any legal matter. Learn more about The Dental Amigos at www.thedentalamigos.com. And now, here are The Dental Amigos. Hello, everyone. I'm Rob Montgomery, and I'm joined, as always, by the head nacho himself, Dr. Paul Goodman. Great to be here, Rob. It's good to see you, Paul, and welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Dental Amigos podcast. Paul, here we are in season three. We got re-upped. You yeah, know, the, I know. Uh, the show got another contract. Big news, yeah. Right? So they, we will we will live on for, for another season. So seasons one and two. Uh, for those who weren't listening, we're uh, talking about associate agreements uh, generally, and season one was from an associate's yeah. perspective. And then in season two, we talked about those from an employer's perspective. I got a great message on Instagram about how valuable our content was for a new dentist. You got to get out there and listen. You're, you're doing the right thing if you're listening to this because we're walking people through, Rob, how not to burn their nachos. Yeah, and that was great. And thanks for sending that message. It's always sure. nice to see people uh, that are able to really take things away from this podcast yeah. and, and help them. And that's why we're doing it. Um, so... Season three, uh, to create a drum roll, uh, we're going to be talking about buy-ins and buy-outs, really partnership agreements. So we're not talking about out-and-out practice acquisitions or sales. We're talking about partnerships where uh, a dentist is buying into a practice, maybe where they're an associate or possibly uh, an employer is bringing an associate on as a partner. Or um, sometimes we'll have a situation where maybe there are two partners and one's retiring. So you're buying one of those people out and stepping in the shoes of, of that retiring partner. The other scenario, as we said, is maybe where there's a solo who is bringing a partner on yeah. possibly for the first time. And I, would, I was involved in one of those puzzle piece fits, Robbie just mentioned, for a partnership where the dent, one dentist was 75, the other was 50, and the 75-year-old really needed to sell his part before he could move on because the 50-year-old didn't want to buy the entire practice. And I was proud to be the matchmaker there. You know, So I think what you just highlighted there is one of those, these come in all shapes and sizes. I also think as the dentist, a lot of this is going to be your legal expertise, but as the dentist sharing here, you know, this is an evolution in your career development, right? We talked about associate agreements, which are serious, but this now this season we're talking about even more of a, a serious connection with another dentist. Absolutely, and and yeah, not to uh, uh, take associate agreements lightly, right? right? Because it's obviously you can do things that really stymie yourself and your ability to practice your profession in those, or do things to kind of get you off the track. But yeah, to your point, Paul, these are really can be career defining yeah. business moves. Um, and uh, if they're not done properly, it could take a long time and it could be a difficult time right. to extract yourself from them. For uh, sure. And it can be costly as well. Uh, and so with that, I think it's important for people to understand, and we tell clients and prospective clients this all the time, that this is the most 
complex transaction in the sort of the dental legal business world. Yeah. Now, I, I guess we should also say, obviously, uh, sales of practices to DSOs, that's a whole different thing. Yeah. That's, that's complex too. But um, in terms of deals with owner operators or just, you know, dentist humans, right? Yeah. Not, not corporate dental owners. Right. This is definitely the most complicated. And there's, sure. there's a lot of layers to this. You know, it's a lot easier just to buy a practice lock, stock, and barrel. Um, but when you have buy-ins, there are a lot of other issues that come yeah. up. I mean, you have the actual purchase agreement where you're buying the stock or the membership right. interest. But then even more importantly, you have the partnership agreement or operating agreement or shareholders agreement, which is the governing document between those partners going forward. Right. And, and that's a really important document. And you know, from a legal standpoint, what's in there and what's not in there can have an impact right. on on that relationship. So we're going to kind of come, we're going to talk about that kind of stuff, you know, today, obviously, and then off and on for the next uh, season of episodes. Um, but it, but again, this is one of those things that you really, really have to be careful. Uh, and the other thing too, is that, you know, you could say, okay, I'm going to buy a dental practice, or I'm going to sell a dental practice. There's not a whole lot of you know, nuance to how yeah. that's being structured. You're buying the assets right. of the practice. You are selling the assets of the practice. But there are a lot more nuances when you look at a buy-in. You know, yeah. what what percentage are you getting? Are you guaranteed uh, you know, uh, a certain amount of production? How is the loan being repaid? Um, who are you getting a loan from? Right. There's just all sorts of things and so many, many more moving parts. For sure. Who's going to have the control? And I think I can share, you know, as you're talking about this, as a, thinking about some of the things brought up is, you know, I like cliches, you know, are we on the same page? And I think, Rob, a lot of dentists, because it's how we're trained in dental school pretty much ignores all the business aspect. They want to know if Paul and Rob can get along and decide on which burrs to buy, but it's really on what is on page 17 that's going to, you know, come to be a problem, right? I mean, mm -hmm. I, I guess they only have yellow legal pads, Rob. I'm looking at yours, but, you know, can Rob and Paul both do yellow legal pads or does Paul want pink ones? Dentists sometimes get very dentisty. And they ignore the real decisions that have the real impact, right? They, and they are focused on things that are just not as important to their long-term success. And then sometimes I've seen just, I'm sure you see this too, totally ignore things that have enormous impact on their future, their family's future, the finances. So I'm really glad we're doing this. Absolutely. And and look, and, and whenever we are dealing with a partnership, you know, air quote issue or dispute, it's always rooted in with bad documents. Right. I mean, it is across the board. That is one common thread yeah. that things were not documented properly or they weren't documented at all yeah. in some cases. And, and that's just a, a recipe for, for disaster. But, you know, but there are certainly some legal things that, uh, in, in contract based provisions and items that you need to, need to address. But, you know, taking a step back really from the legal standpoint also, Paul, is just the practical considerations about you know, working and partnering with another dentist. Yeah. You know, and, and there's a lot of things that a lawyer can put on paper in a contract, but that, like, we don't have the power as lawyers yeah. to make a bad situation good right. by putting it on, on a piece of paper, you know? And so if you have a partnership that is otherwise not working, the fact that we've got a good partnership agreement that's not going to save the day. Right. And the types of things that we generally tell clients that I've seen personally uh, come you know, come 
come to light that will really kind of unhinge a, a partnership. Um, really concerned. There's a couple of like hot topics. I mean, one of them I would say is that it's important for partners to be on the same page when it comes to sort of fiscal right. uh, expectations, right? And the example I like to use is, you know, one partner wants to throw a $20,000 holiday party and the other partner wants to buy the supplies at Costco. Right. There's nothing wrong with either of those people. They just shouldn't be partners. And and, and what you pointed there, Rob, because it reminds you sometimes, you know, you, you know, it's a marriage type of comparison, right? Because if somebody wants to go on a fancy vacation every year and the other person wants to go to a day trip to the beach, it's just that that level of extreme mm -hmm. difference. I will share, you know, as someone who has a partner, my brother, just to add to that, you know, that extreme difference is impossible, to me is usually impossible and practical to bridge. There is value to having someone who thinks a little differently than you mm -hmm. and keeps you in check, sure. right? You know, we can't spend all of our money on this, but it, they, I think that you have to be more towards the middle, right? In terms mm -hmm. of these differences, because if you have extreme differences, you know, those just things are hard to get over. So I think it's a great example of, I want to get paper towels at Costco and I want to throw a holiday party at Lincoln Financial Field, right? Yeah. It's just those, you're not on the same page there with the city. Making. Yeah, sure. I mean, and you can analogize it to, as you said, like you know, a marriage too. If if one spouse is out working hard and the other spouse is like laying around playing golf all day, and you know, uh, that's not something that's going to probably make the the hardworking spouse feel really good about the relationship. And look, with any relationship, when there's a winner and a loser, generally speaking, that's a relationship that's yeah, kind of just and destined I, to fail. I'll just add in, you know, the profit piece. You know, you know. Spending money on a party kind of affects profit, but I've seen myself and having a dad who had a partner and I have a partner, the people part is equally or for even more important because one partner, I remember my dad's partnership and it lasted very long and they had a, a, a on paper successful partnership, but towards the end of it, you know, the one partner was sort of like the staff could do whatever they want. And my dad was like, we should hold them accountable. And that's right. not a profit part, that's a people part, but it right. can cause just as many divide. Because sure. if you're holding your assistant accountable for being on time and the other partner saying, oh, it's no big deal, they got to drop off their kids, it creates a cultural problem that is very difficult to manage inside of a partnership. For sure. Just like if you tell the girls that they can eat <laughs> chips before dinner right. yes. after mom says no chips, like mom's not going to be too happy with you, Paul. Yeah. And also, you know, I just want to share it just because it's supposed to be fun too, you know, Kids, uh, they're what do they call? They're manipulative and crafty, right? Because they'll come up to you, and you know your team can be that way, and you don't even know what the right answer is. Because sometimes my own daughter will be like, "Can I watch this right now?" And I don't see why she can't. And then I see her, and then I hear from the room. I thought we were on the same page with screens today, and I say, "Oh, geez, I forgot." Right. So some of it comes right. to not in, un in being. So if you have a partnership out there and you think that sounds like my partner, have a good conversation with it. Because I've made partnership errors with both my brother and also with my awesome wife that are just due to lack of awareness because I was like, this sounds like something they should be able to do. But the way they're asking it, it doesn't seem like I should say yes. And right. then you're in a partnership conundrum, right? So sure. we've all experienced that. For sure. But I think, and I think that overall too, that, you know, it's, again, it, it's so easy. And we, I think we have to analogize it to, to any, you know, to, to a marriage or any other personal relationship. Uh, I think you have to really go into these relationships. And again, we're talking about both sides. We're talking about yeah. the person bringing the partner on and the person becoming a partner. But you have to really go into these relationships with 
an expectation and a commitment to trying to solve problems, right? Yeah. So if, and because things change over time, especially, you know, if we were talking to people that are doing startups as partnerships, well, that, that business looks yeah. really different on day one when they have no patients and two employees than it does when, you know, 10 years from now, when they've yeah. got $2 million of revenue, lots of employees and 20 people working right. for them, right? So I think overall, you need to be committed to trying to work things out over time with this other person as things change. And, you know, that's the type of thing that you can't really capture in a document. We can't capture every possible scenario, not to mention just because this is me, the lawyer saying this, and it's important to document this stuff, but to put provisions in the agreement that one person doesn't have any intention or desire to follow or provisions that really just operate as a gun to the other person's head, while that will solve the problem in the short term, that will not be the basis for a long-term successful partnership. You know, ultimately you need to be able to resolve your differences, reach compromise and, and, and work together as partners. And the fact that there's a document out there that lays down the rules of the road, that's kind of the last resort. That shouldn't be that every time we have to make a decision, we're going to take this thing out. And this agreement says that if this is the case, then I'm right and you're wrong. You know, like, again, that, that might get you through that one decision. But probably not something that's going to be the foundation for long-term success. I would ask Rob because you know I know you have a. It's nice that you put up the plaque that the Goodmans are your favorite clients. It was nice you guys did that here. I'm just joking. Hey, Rob didn't Where do that. I, but you know I I understand the nuances of a family business that probably happens in dentistry and other families. So when they're getting their advisors, there is a collaboration that might not exist outside of family. So it, let's say you're talking about the importance of the operating agreements, difficult to unwind and more complex. And maybe this is just a very basic question, but I want our, our, our listeners to hear this. If Dr. Guac is, bring, is, is having his associate become a partner, should they each get their own attorney when they're dealing with this partnership? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, there are certainly, there's sometimes that it may be appropriate uh, in a startup context where two people are signing a lease and, and entering into a partnership. That's a, a slightly different situation. But here you have when you're bringing on a partner or you're becoming a partner, there's a buyer and a seller. Yeah. You know, no lawyer should ever be on the side of the buyer and the side of the, of the seller at the same time. Right. That, that is an unwaivable conflict in our business. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it's wholly. And it seems almost like, you know, an unfair one to the attorney too, because it's like, you know, even if they were attempting to make it as, amicable as possible. It's just like just like when we talk about dual representation brokers. It's just yeah. a black versus white, wet versus dry. It just seems like a, Can't a world it. where it's impossible. And you know, I was just kind of the image was coming to me of this there was a kind of an MMA meme going around and think of the MMA fighters. You know, when you go to your corner, your corners are talking to you about this fight. And it's not supposed to be a fight, right? But right. it's like they're telling you about this is what protects you. And sometimes the thing that protects you is the opposite of the other party. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of up to your corners and your attorneys to work that out and get to a resolution. So I, I just want to bring up, because I do get a lot of those questions yeah. that I'm about to buy in. We're going to use the the older dentist attorney. I say, that's a red flag. You want somebody <sighs> to good. look at this for you. Totally not and, good. And tell us, Rob, you know, in this partnership thing, because I like, I'm a fan. Everything we do with Dental Notch is a collaboration. I love when there's more than one dentist working together in the same building. But it's, sometimes it's easier to have one owner and four associates than it is to have just two partners. Mm-hmm. Um, when they're creating these things, what makes it difficult to unwind later? 
I think the, the practical reality, I mean, first off, is a lot of times there's a loan involved with the buy-in or debt on the practice. So if somebody borrows money to buy into the practice, you owe the bank that money. Gotcha. So unless the person receiving the money, the existing partner, feels like giving that money back to the bank and saying, see you later, Paul, you don't have to yeah. be my partner anymore and here's your money back, which I don't know if I've ever seen <laughs> yeah. that happen, uh, it becomes it becomes challenging. Um, it's also challenging because this is where both dentists, assuming there's a two-person partnership, both dentists have built their goodwill. You know, yeah. and how do you unravel that? Right. Who gets the phone number? Right. You know? Whose patients are whose patients? You know, who's who belong to whom? I mean, you and I'm also going to say, Rob, since I know the dental mindset very well. And for people listening, because there's personalities that can deal with partnerships and there's ones that can, and you should take a good hard look at yourself, whether that's through coaching, mm -hmm. whether that's through uh, professional counseling, whatever that looks like to you, right? Because someone should say to you, you are a person who can have a partner and you are not unrelated to what's on the table. Because what I'm assuming is when you get to this conversation you're talking about, things have not gone well for a while. Right. Yeah. It's not like day one. You just it's not like one day you walk in and say, We're dissolving this, give me the phone number. It usually is, I'm assuming you know from a client this has been going this way for a long no. time. Well, you know, uh, well, if they tell us. So sometimes they sometimes they'll come to us and say, well, for the last five years, we've been having these <laughs> yeah. issues. So, okay. <laughs> you know. the, the question I want to ask now, because I just had a coaching client ask me this. Um, tell me, you know, he said, I might buy into this practice. You know, uh, the owner's going to hold the loan for me. Is that good, bad, and different? Happens frequently, doesn't happen. I'm just, because you just talked about the unwinding of it. Right. And my brain just said, well, if the other dentist is holding the loan, they might have interest in keeping the partnership going. I'm just curious. Yeah, well, well, let's just back up for a second. When you talk about unwinding it, that's not so easy either, because if all the parties don't want to unwind it, that means you have to file a lawsuit and ask that's a judge right. to do that, right? And that, you know, there you go, right? That's not good. Uh, and then the judge is going to say that the practice is dissolved and how we're going to deal with the assets. Again, if there's debt out there, that makes it challenging. But it's not just so easy that you press the button and say, unwind. Yeah. You know, like that That could be a, a multi-year process that, you know, is not going to be really good for the health of the practice or the value of the practice. I mean, imagine working as, uh, as a hygienist or right. an assistant or an office manager in a practice that's in the process of litigation to unwind it. Right. right? And, and I was going to say something as you're talking, sometimes people say, but doctors have a lot of, and I, I want to share some value because I worked at a hospital for a while. They said, doctors have these partnerships and they do better, but there's a key part. Like, cause I, I we worked next to the ENT department. They didn't see each other every day. They had four ENT locations and the partners would be running around between these locations, which I think sometimes led to a longer term partnership because yeah. if you're dissolving a partnership in the same house, yeah. there's a lot of negative energy. But I'm just saying if dentists had four locations, and they were all going to different locations. The the challenging part of dentistry, I say, is we are shoulder to shoulder with each other mm -hmm. all day long. And like what you said, the team is going to feel that negative energy, and it's not going to be good for anyone involved. Totally, totally. So financing issues. I mean, can, seller financing sometimes that can be a good thing. Um, the you know the upside. We'll just back up. Here's one of the challenges for. Uh, from a financing standpoint for just about any buy-in. There's a few exceptions to this. Some lenders will do this, but very, very, very few. Um, so if the associate, or I should say the, the person that's buying into the practice, it might be the associate or it might be somebody that's coming in from, from someplace else, if they are gonna get a loan 
to pay the seller to either yeah. become that person's partner or buy somebody out who's leaving and become partners with this, this person that's remaining, the bank is going to require a first lien on the assets of the practice. Oh, gotcha. So Paul Goodman is is going to borrow $600,000 to buy into the practice with Jeff Goodman. Even though it's Paul Goodman's debt, there's a lien on the practice for $600,000. Now, Jeff Goodman didn't borrow that money. The practice didn't borrow that money. However, that practice that Jeff Goodman also owns is going to have a lien on it. It's going to be encumbered. And so that sometimes can be a deal killer. If you have a dentist who has a thriving practice, they're debt-free, they have no liens on the practice, and then all of a sudden they're bringing this associate in, or I should say this partner in, and there's now going to be a lien to secure that loan. So sometimes there are people that say, no way, I'm not doing that. Uh, In that instance, seller financing could work because now- the, the seller's holding that. They don't have to worry about a bank lien. And um, the downside of that potentially to the partner coming in is that the, well, at least from a conceptual standpoint, the the seller, the, the original dentist, yeah. has somewhat of leverage on them that if they're not paying right. or they can sort of manipulate the, the the practice or the flow of patients in a way that could lead to that person being in default, well, it's pretty easy for them to take that practice right. back. You know, um, provide, they don't really want to come and take a right. practice back, yeah, yeah. right? But it's a little easier for, for seller financing um, for that to happen. Um, the other thing that, that sometimes is a challenge too in this uh in this realm, is if the uh, the practice already has debt. So let's say that the practice has debt with Wells Fargo, yeah. and now the associate wants to buy in, and they want to bring provide in, you know, and provide's going to lend them the money. That doesn't work because Wells Fargo wants a first position on that on the assets uh, on right. the lien position. Provide needs a first position to make that loan. So in that situation, either the seller is going to have to refinance their Wells Fargo loan with Provide, and so that all the loans are with Provide, or the person buying is going to have to work with Wells Fargo so that, once again, all the loans and all the liens in that practice are with the same bank. So I think, you know, what we're just digging into is this is just, it it is a much more complex relationship on all angles from people to profits to finances. When it goes well, it can be awesome because I'm sure you've seen, you know, I think it is funny that what you do, Robin, I was thinking this the other day, like endodontists, the root canal specialists that you work with, they only kind of see teeth with decay into the nerve. They kind of only see the bad stuff, right? No right. one stopped by and say, hey, hey, endodontist, I want to show my teeth are really good. And probably like very people, I'm not sure if you guys get calls here, maybe do this, say, hey, just want to know my partnership's going well. You kind of get the, you know, you're like, <laughs> the, uh, people do you're that. like yeah. the, you know, the police of, you <laughs> right. see the problems, right? Yeah, yeah, no, so I want to make sure that I'm sharing that there's so many great partnerships out there that represent good, but mm-hmm. to just be so aware because undoing this is so complex. Yeah, well, and and it is, but you know, like again, this is where like proper planning and counseling pays off, yeah. because it, that you know these financing issues and concerns for us, like these are things that we talk about on day one with our right. clients. You know, does the seller know that there's going to be a lien on the practice as a result of your loan? Uh, well, I don't know if we've talked about. Them. Go talk to them about it. Right. Yeah, yeah. This, we need to deal with that now. 
Right. You know, where that becomes a problem, we're the day before closing and the bank sends loan documents out and uh, a, a security agreement to the seller and says, hey, you know, here's the documents you have to sign to allow a lien to be placed on the practice assets. I'm like, whoa, what's yeah, this? Right. You know, and, and that and that has the ability to 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 crater and kill a deal. But if you kind of know what's going on, you know what to expect, then you can be proactive yeah. with addressing these issues in advance in a way that is productive and and leads to you know ultimately a happy partnership and some sort of closing. But when when you don't know kind of what to expect and what sort of parameters there are to work within, you know people have unrealistic right. expectations, and usually you know it, and those unrealistic expectations can lead to differences, right? And differences generally aren't good when you're trying to get a deal done or working after I heard a good, but you said a good point there. I, saw, I heard a comedian once or someone say a funny joke about dating. Like dating shouldn't be about like going to get wine and cheese and going to restaurants. It should be like trying to do the laundry on Tuesday night while you still have to get ready for work because that's the real part of it. So I think sometimes the romantic notion of having a dental partner might be about the covering for vacations and being on the same page, but a lot of it is the nitty gritty details of day-to-day decision-making right. and leading a place that not sometimes you're just not prepared for unless you have a good team to help you. Yeah, oh, for sure. And, and, and you know, to that point, so like, here's another thing that, you know, we talked about fiscal differences and expectations as being a uh, potential bogey in a, in a partnership. Kind of along those lines too, can be sort of like, risk hand taking on risk and or you know tax planning you know there are people that like to run quasi personal expenses right. through the practice right and there are people that absolutely do not right they want to dot all their i's and cross all their t's those two people probably are going to right. have a problem you know if they have those differences and those those different philosophies there are people that want to possibly borrow $200,000 to go buy all kinds of cool new right. equipment somebody else doesn't want to right so you should do the you know Rob I thought of uh Remember that newlywed game with like they knew their partner you know like right. what's their favorite food <laughs> yeah. you should have a thing be like okay if a CBCT comes along for $100,000, will your partner want to buy it or not? So you were wrong, right? You were wrong. And uh, I think this is just such key value to talk about because I think, I hope more dentists do work together in a meaningful way, but they have to do it with purpose and awareness like you talk about and being prepared because I think like a lot of sometimes the dental trends without learning businesses, they're just not ready for the reality of what this means. Yeah, I know. That's it, it's absolutely the case. And and you know, we'll have people that will come to us and say, well, you know, we've been friends since dental school. We're on the same page with all these things. And, you know, we'll tick off a list of items like, well, what do you want to do in this situation? Well, we haven't talked about that. What do you want to do in that right. situation? We haven't talked about that. And it comes down to basically they know what, what they want the logo to look like. They know what they want to call the practice. And beyond that, they haven't really talked I, about you, much. I remember when, you know, I do listen to your all your great content from over the years, Rob, and you said, you know, some dentists become very narrow-minded about, I'm only going to buy this practice if I can buy the real estate. And Rob Montgomery says, you could buy another piece of real estate, right? Like, so if there's really good practice, buy the practice. And if you love real estate investing, go buy other real estate. So you're kind of, that made me think when you said that, if you're best friends with someone from dental school, you don't have to be a partner to stay best friends, no. right? I mean, like no, that could don't. ruin the best friendship. Well, right? that, is, that so, is the number so one way like, to ruin a, a like, friendship you know, policy I mean, to become partners you know, with them. I, I even no said doubt. this about, you know, I can kind of share authentically my relationship with my dad, who I've just, uh, so glad I worked with her 11 years before he passed mm -hmm. away. But here's a lot of intensity to working with someone as a business partner that's totally. just not fun. Uh -huh. 
it's not romantic. Uh-huh. It's super functional. It can be high pressure. Yeah. And people don't tell you that until you're in it. So I'm glad I got to see my dad every day for 11 days. And I'm, I'm thrilled. It was a net awesomeness. Yeah. But I, just the reality of it was sometimes that we had to deal with things as father and son that you wouldn't have had to dealt with if you weren't business partners. Yeah. Yeah. No, there's no doubt. And, and people, I have this sort of misconception that if you have a partner, it's going to make it easier because you have somebody else to do the work. And, you know, there, that's true to an extent. But as you said, I mean, that's also raises other issues and you have to yeah. get along with that person. And I think to me, a lot of times, and it depends on what the, what the vision is. Yeah. You know, if you're looking to grow, you know, uh, a group of practices, you know, five or six locations, then yeah, it's probably a good idea to have, have a couple right. of partners with skin in the game. If you're looking at a single location, general dentistry practice, you know, what, what needs to be done that you need two people to do that? You're going to hire people to For do sure. this stuff. It's not like you need somebody to help you with the bookkeeping or right. help somebody help you answer the phones, right? Or to help you do dentistry. You can hire an associate for that. Right. You know, it's what the, what other things is this partner bringing to the table? And, you know, a lot of times it can be just that, hey, Oh, there's somebody else that I'm going to have to get along with. And, and, and that's I mean, risky in itself. You know, I mentioned Gary Vee like 9,000 times. It talks about, you know, loving what you do. It's like such a dramatic, do you love what you do, right? I don't know. But like, you have to want to have a partner because you like collaborating on dentistry with another professional and be willing to deal with the hassles because of it. And I don't think dentists think of that, about that. You have to love going in and saying, I can ask my partner about this case. Mm-hmm. I can build things with my partner. And these are things that don't always show up on the stat sheet. And I think a lot of people say yes to partnerships, not realizing that they don't really want any of that stuff. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's exactly, it's not not being true to yourself yeah. or kidding yourself with that. Um, let's shift gears a little bit. So let's sure. just talk about a few things that, you know, types of provisions that you really want to, be able to address in in the partnership agreement. You know, importantly, what happens if one of the per, uh, the partners dies? Right? Yeah. Is you know, is the partnership going to be required to buy out the estate? Typically, yes. But you know, the devil is in the detail with that. You know, is there life insurance uh, to to fund that buyout? That's obviously the best case scenario. Yeah. Um, but if not, what are the terms of repayment? How's the practice going to be valued? Right. You know, is it going to be a fair market value taking into account the goodwill? Or is it going to be a book value of just looking at the assets? Right. Because then practically speaking also, you know, is the if you have two dentists who are partners and they're the two only two dentists in the practice and one of them is no longer a dentist in the practice that practice is not worth what it was well, 100 i was gonna say you know, sadly i mean that's just the reality of sure. life suckiness but like it, it dramatically drops in value immediately totally. the goodwill is now ended mm-hmm. the the practice now has to scramble for survival and yeah. it's just a it's a really tragic and sad situation mm-hmm. but it doesn't change the financial part of it no that you know and, and in that situation, each party is going to have very different emotional feels towards what these things are worth. The surviving partner is going to say, hey, I'm here by myself, and sure. this thing isn't worth a million dollars anymore. Right. We're lucky to get anyone to pay and something for it. And I'm doing more work, yeah. right? You know? And then, then, then the family, right. you know, which understandable, says, this is the legacy of our mother or father, yep. and this is what they have so many patients. Right on. But, you know, so it's I'm sure you've dealt with that. Right on. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and that's where life insurance can really kind of cure a lot of problems. Yeah. You know, it can kind of give the the money to the estate without it costing right 
the uh, the practice, and it might be what the estate gets might actually turn out to be more than what half of that practice is right. really worth. Yeah. Post uh, post death, so um, life insurance. There's all sorts of nuances to that, but it's really important with any of the buy sell language in there surrounding death. Yeah. You know, is really think about that and make sure it's done properly. Similarly, disability. You know, if if that other partner is not able to right. to practice anymore. What happens? You know, will they? Do they have to be bought out, or you know, can they force the the other partner to buy them out, or are they required to sell? You know, there's yeah. different nuances to that. What happens if the uh, one of the partners loses their license or has yeah. their license suspended? That's a big thing. Or what if one of the partners is no longer actively working in the practice? Yeah. You know, and one partner's there five days a week just beating their head against the wall, and the other person strolls in for a day and a half a week. Yeah. You know? And they say, well, I'm doing all the big cases. Right. You know? <laughs> yeah. like, well, that's great, but I'm running all the big office yeah, at the same yeah, time yeah, when you're yeah, yeah. you know playing golf, talking about the big cases, yeah, right? Yeah, like yeah. That, that, doesn't, that may not be so equitable. So these are the types of things that you really want to try to cover in the in the actual agreements, there's going to be all this other intangible stuff like we talked yeah. about, Paul. That you're just going to have to know that you can get along. But this is pretty baseline stuff that you have to cover. And and I'm you know sorry to say that it's not always covered, right? You know, and and we've people have come to us after the fact when they have really rotten agreements that really don't address these circumstances yeah. properly, and it just ends up it's like the old oil fizzler commercial: you pay me now or pay me later. Right, yeah. You know, and it's not not a pleasant situation. Situation and it's and it's expensive. Um, the other thing I think that uh, somebody that's buying into the practice needs to think about is, you know, what are they really getting? You know, like so, are they truly going to be? Let's just use the example: a fifty percent partner. Well, yeah, I was I was just thinking of that, Rob, for a second. I know we're gonna have multiple episodes, so if I get too off track here, but. I know lawyers and I know dentists and your guys' favorite answers is it depends, right? So I'm going to couch this in a different way. So I say this. I'm going to try not to answer this question by saying that. Most successful partnerships, because I can't process not an equal partnership. When I was with my dad and my brother, we were third. We had different split ups when we got to a certain place with them as a family. But I'm with my brother. We're 50-50 partners, right? I can't process okay, I own 23% and someone owns 77%. Is most often successful partnership based on 50-50? Eh, not necessarily. Okay. Uh, I didn't say so, it depends. Yeah, yes. I didn't not, say I it like depends. necessarily. See? So, but well, here's why. Like, you know, It doesn't always work. So if you have a big practice, let's say the practice is worth $2 million and somebody's buying in, they don't have the ability to borrow a million dollars for 50%. They may have to buy a smaller percentage. And I just remember a story even from Einstein days, well before Nachos, where you were talking about a specialist and you were their attorney saying, well, we told them 20% is not a good idea. Yeah. So maybe I, I don't want to miss, misspeak, but like what, well, it, tell us about these unequal buy-ins. Well, so, you know, in that in that situation, but I think it's important for the person buying in to have some sort of mechanism to buy more. Yeah, and yeah, gotcha. in that in that scenario you're talking about to buy twenty percent, and like here it is, I own twenty percent. Are you just going to own twenty percent forever? Right. You know, and then there are two other partners that each own forty percent. You know, what, when are they going to sell some of that? You know, do you want to be a twenty percent uh, practice owner for the next twenty five years? Like, if is that your if right. that your vision of practice? Maybe it is for some people, yeah. but man, it doesn't sound so great. I think probably. And what you just said about the big cases versus the big office—that was funny. You should bring that out. Is um. You know, if someone's an 80% partner, other than 20%, 
but they might be managing to place 50-50, that doesn't seem like a good deal. Possibly right? not. You know, because like, mm-hmm. you know, part of me feels like I, if I was doing this, you know, I'd say, let's be 50-50 partners so we can split 50-50 of, of headaches, right? Yeah. Like you do the team, I'll do this. Well, yeah, well, let's, let's just go back for a second. We'll, let's, we'll talk about the sort of the financial implications of, you know, the buy-in and what percentage you have at a later date. Like, okay, gotcha. Okay, so, but that, but it's a good question and I think it's appropriate now. But, you know, well, let's, what, what I'm talking about now is if you are the dentist buying in and you're buying into this practice that where the person was a solo before yeah. you came aboard and they've owned this practice for the last 25 years and all the staff and all the team look to them as the quote unquote right. the boss and the person in charge, just because your legal document says that you own 50% of that practice, there's no way in the world that you truly are right. an equal partner in that in that endeavor. And that that's one of those things that there's nothing you can really do legally about right. that. You know, and and I think some of the the red flags in that situation from a, a buyer standpoint is, well, I'm going to buy into this practice and um, she wants it to be 5149. Right. <laughs> really? Why? You know, well she wants to have like this control. Is when, this is the one where you say where you go with someone goes I'll sell you the practice, but my restrictive covenant, it can only be 18 miles away. And you immediately go, what's nine, What's 17 miles away yeah, or right. something like, or it's, what's 19, 19 miles, miles away? away. Right. So like that that 5149 thing, it just seems inflammatory. Yeah, oh, totally. <laughs> like to what? someone you are setting up a successful relationship with. Exactly, you know, <laughs> and, and that's not an uncommon thing. And we have that conversation. Like, So you're gonna pay them $800,000 to just be the chump? Like why? Right. Like, I mean, and, and to that, to me, just invites like, bigger discussion about does this seller really want to have right. a partner and everything that comes with it because look you know you can practice dentistry as a solo and right. and you can be the king of the island there's nothing wrong with that right. and i think sometimes there are certain people and certain personalities and you know and I, I i'm somewhat one of them you know i'll tell you i'm i'm unemployable at this right, stage yeah. of my life right you know but that have been in control of the business for so long that the thought of having somebody else come in to share uh, that decision-making, that they're gonna have to bounce that off them, it's not so great. They may like it from a business succession standpoint that now they found somebody that's going to possibly buy them out someday and you know, like they like all that, they like the money that they got when they sold that to them, but they don't really want to share, right. you know, decision making, and that can be a tricky thing, especially if, uh, you know, you get to the point where this doctor sort of at the end of their career, they don't want to buy new equipment, they don't want yeah. to expand the office. Meanwhile, the younger dentist who's buying in says, "Well, look, this is the future right. of this practice. We need to do these things," and they're like, "Well, I don't really want to spend that money." So, you know, that's, but that's overall. I mean, look, that's part of the conversation. Yeah. And that's also one of the things that as you go through the, the, the negotiation process for the legal documents, there's a couple of things that are happening here. Right. You know, like we're actually negotiating the documents to, you know, get the fine points set up. But this is also like part of the dating right. process. Yeah. You know, like, you know, maybe the two dentists haven't had the difficult conversation. Right. Yes. Yeah, but yeah. the lawyers are going to start, right. you know, basically serving up those difficult right. issues and seeing how the other person responds to it can be a litmus I feel test. like Rob, you guys should stick up for I stick for lawyers because sometimes people say, 
lawyers just mess things up. I think sometimes they bring up the stuff that the other people should right. have talked about earlier. Exactly. They're not, they're not being inflammatory. Yeah. They're being responsible. Yeah. Right? I mean, you know, I mean, I'm never going to apologize for not sweeping something under right. the rug. <laughs> yeah. Right. You know, that's. What if you're counseling people getting married? Be like, we haven't discussed where we ever want to live. You go, well, you probably should discuss that because if after you get married, one of you wants to live in San Francisco and the other yeah. wants to live in Philadelphia, yeah. you're going to have a divorce. It'd be better not to get married. Right. Yeah. You right. Know? Let's talk about that now. Right. <laughs> yeah. You know, like we, we don't want people coming back to us, you know, two years later saying, oh, this isn't so good. Um, but, you know, and again, it's sort of like your example, too, in, in a practice acquisition. Um, you know, the seller once uh, will agree to a nine mile non-compete, but not 10. Right. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. You know, it, it, it just raises these other issues that should lead to a discussion. And people need to have their eyes open that when they see the yellow and the red flags, they take a step back. So, um Again, that's one of those things that we can put anything on paper, yeah. but we can't deal like the that interpersonal political relationship yeah. in the office. Like there's nothing in the partnership agreement that could do that. Something else that I think sellers need to think about, because a lot of times, you know, and we're going to get into this in a, in a subsequent episode when we're talking about bringing uh, an associate on uh, or buying into a practice as an associate. But from a transition standpoint, a lot of times practice owners will look at a buy-in as a potential way to ultimately transition their practice. Yeah. And um, a few things to be careful about in that, in that situation. If you are you own this great thriving practice and you bring a partner on and that partner bring buys 30, 40, or even 50% of the practice, in two years, you may want to retire, or five right. years, you want to retire. Okay, now you go to that that your partner and say, "I, I want to retire. Uh, I don't have the money, or I don't want to buy you out, right. or I can't get a loan." Or now, all of a sudden, you went from the situation where you are the king of the island. You can choose to sell your practice to whomever right. you want forever terms. Now you're trying to sell fifty percent. Of the practice, right? You know, which can be a tricky thing. You know, it's like that that classic line, you know, seen in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, where you know uh, Jack Nicholson tells Mr. Martini, like, you can't bet half a cigarette, Martini. How many <laughs> yeah. times do I have to tell you that I can't smoke half a cigarette, yeah. right? So trying to sell fifty percent interest in a practice to somebody that's not an associate or just a third party, it can just have stymie your ability well, because to it's transition. Like one of my mentors, Dr. Alex Stone, friends with dental care would say do one miracle at a time when you're doing these big implant cases. Now you have to find a dentist who wants to work in this location, you know, th step one, then a dentist who's going to want to work in this location and now buy in with someone who they don't know. And mm -hmm. I actually did help someone do this. So I was very right. proud of it. It's a very difficult thing to do. Yeah. And you have to go through a lot of people to find that one right puzzle piece. And yeah. even when you find that one right puzzle piece, the remaining partners got a lot of risk, uh -huh. personality risk, right? I mean, uh -huh. the remaining partner might be the do the lion's share of the dentistry and have the team. And I know there's risk to the person coming in and partnering with that person, but they're used to working with someone that is, is the seasoned dentist who's been there for a long time. Mm -hmm. And now you're like, surprise, you got somebody younger who's now your partner. So it's a, you know, yeah. I, I, I agree. It's like, you know, a multiple tricks to get done in one step. Yeah, I mean, you just took something that was very marketable and kind of made it into like this right. unicorn, you <laughs> yeah, know, yeah. for no for no good reason. Yeah. Um, so, you know, so I think sometimes people have the intention like, hey, this is going to be a good strategy. I found this person, you know, they're going to buy yeah. it. They're going to buy half now, half in a few years. What if they don't, right. you know? <laughs> yeah. And so that, that could be worse. The other thing is that practical consideration, especially depending on the size of the practice, is, 
you know, if you've got this practice that's grossing $3 million, you know, let's just say in the DSO world, it might be worth $4 million. Right. right now, are you going to bring partners on? You know, are, are those people, you know, no, does that stymie your ability to do a, a deal with a right. DSO perhaps to really maximize that value? Quite likely, right. right? And now if you have a practice that's worth $4 million and you have somebody buy into that, well, geez, they could pay 400 grand and only get 10%, right? right? So are those people ultimately going to be able to buck up and show up with that other $3.6 million at some point when you're ready to retire? Likely not, you know? So in addition to kind of turning this into a unicorn and trying to find somebody just to buy out your interest, you now also may be tying your hands and your ability to sell to a big right. corporate or private equity backed buyer who's going to maximize Doing something that, that sale you think price. gives you more freedom restricts you very dentist rob right so that's why the importance of get your team get people who've done this all the time and ask them have you done this with other people what's happened and it does drive me nacho nuts when someone reaches out to me on facebook and say what do you think paul i say i ask rob these questions right i'm just the nacho person who learns about this so i just think it's a good point to interject and say Ask dental-focused attorneys and accountants and people who see these things happen all the time. I mean, if if, if a dentist was listening, Rob, and he said, we asked, they asked their medical physician about their implants, dentists would cringe and say, they don't know anything about implants, right? Ask a dentist who does, sees this all the time. So I think it was just a good point, time to say, make sure you're working with people who do this all the time. Well, and I think, and let's go back to what I said at the outset, Paul. These transactions are very complicated, yeah. right? And as you hear all these these different issues and nuances, that, and what's what's good for you, where you are in your career, your age, where your right. your future goals and plans are, are very different from somebody else. What might be perfect for you might be a nightmare for somebody else, and vice versa. There's this is truly not one size fits all. Again, you can sell a practice; it's easy. I've sold the assets to my practice. Done. I'm working for some period of yeah. time. Here's my non compete. I got my cash. Done. Right. But these things, you know, it's just there's so many moving parts yeah. and it is so personal for and unique for each situation. This is not one size fits all. You can't just say, here's here's the advice. Here's the document. It's the same for everybody. Right. It, it's not, you know, and and it really depends on the situation. And, you know, we'll get into, uh, you know, accounting issues and due diligence issues, which, you know, that, that starts to touch into something, some of these issues in, in, in later episodes. But, you know, I just can't emphasize it enough that, you know, there is just not one right way to do this. It really depends on, on the parties and the situation. Right. Really, really awesome. So looking forward, Paul, to discussing some more about buy-ins and partnerships over uh, over the coming weeks. And thanks, everybody, for uh, tuning in. If you like the episode today, uh, please go on to uh, Apple or Google or wherever you're listening to the podcast and give us a good review. Awesome, Rob. Thanks. Thanks for listening to another great podcast with The Dental Amigos. And don't forget to tune in next time to have the dental business demystified. If you're looking for more information about today's podcast, you can find it on thedentalamigos.com. If you're looking for Paul, you can find Paul at drpaulgoodman.com. And if you're looking for Rob, you can find him at yourdentallawyer.com. This podcast has been sponsored by Orange Line Media Group, helping dentists and other professionals create content people love. Find out how we can help you take your business to the next level at www.orangelinemg.com. Till next time.